so here we go. We'll start out right off the bat. So there's an old Jay Leno joke that makes people laugh. You're all going to have to tolerate it right out of the blocks. And actually, the joke does have a point at the end. So two guys are hunting, and they come upon a huge hole. One of the guys says, whoa, how deep is that? And the other guy says, I don't know. Let's find out. So he finds a rusty old anvil sitting nearby, drags it over and heaves it into the hole. Down, down it goes. It whistles its way down. The guys don't even hear it hit the bottom. This hole is so deep. The next thing the hunters know, they hear a rapid clippity-clop, clippity-clop approaching. A goat comes flying toward them, almost knocking them over. And before they can stop it, the goat soars into the air and falls right down into the hole. A few seconds later, the hunters see an old man running towards them. Becky, the man is crying. The man reaches the hunters and says, hey, have you fellers seen a goat go by? The one hunter says, yeah, we did just now. The thing went by like 80 miles an hour and jumped right into that hole, to which the old guy says, that's impossible. I had her changed to an anvil. <laughs> in, all serious, I'll, in all seriousness, I'll tell you a little secret. Here's what I want to tell you today. We are all more like Becky than we care to admit. And the anvil that takes us down an impossibly deep hole is often our work and or our money. A warped view of either and we're goners, just like that goat. We're continuing the series called Simplify today, which was launched a few weeks ago. This week, we're talking about simplifying our lives on two key fronts, our working world and our finances. These fronts are intimately connected. We work in order to earn money, and we can only spend the money our work has allowed us to earn, in theory anyway. One of the reasons I say our money is like an anvil that sends us down careening into a black hole is that for too many people, or far too many people, refuse to live within the boundary lines of what they earn. Instead of learning to be content with the provision level that God has provided, we say, nah, I think I know better what I need to buy, even if it means I go into debt. And for too many of us, that debt level has become debilitating. It is single-handedly robbing us of peace and joy. As it relates to our working world, I hear far too many stories of people discontented in their jobs. So today, we'll also talk about how to evaluate your job's effectiveness and how to make the change if the time has come for you to relaunch your career. You've probably noticed that when you hate your job, all of life feels like drudgery. Likewise, when you're up to your eyeballs in debt or when your spending is selfish and out of control, something in your soul always feels a little bit off or a lot off. On the flip side, when we are thriving at work and when we are following God's principles for managing our finances, we find ourselves breathing deeply of the inner peace we so desperately crave. 
My guess is that we've all had experience or know people who, when given the opportunity to be honest and faithful and fair, bowed to the pressures of ego and selfishness and made foolish decisions that led to a practical end or predictable end. The truth is that when we reject God's ways, that's the way things always end up sooner or later. What I'd like to do today is work our way through a series of alignments related to achieving satisfaction with both our jobs and our money. Alignment is a useful thing. If you've ever driven a vehicle that is misaligned, you know how much effort it takes to overcome the car's tendency to pull to the right or to the left. You and I are sort of like that car. When we are living in alignment with God's purpose, we're able to track straight and true along the path that God has laid out for us to walk. When we're living out of alignment, we find ourselves veering off course. All throughout scripture, we're encouraged to keep our feet on the path of righteousness, which means the path of right living, the path that honors God. So today, we're going to look at nine alignments pertaining to work and money that help us to stay on that right path. We'll begin with the alignments related to our finances. The first alignment regarding our finances is this simple belief. All I have comes from God. In our culture, we tend to be suckers for the rags to riches stories. We love to hear of the young person who grew up in a rough neighborhood and overcame a thousand different obstacles, eventually rising to become the CEO of a successful corporation. We give that kind of person lots of credit, lots of accolades, lots of press, and lots of awards. But here's what we must not forget. When that person takes the stage to receive their umpteenth award, what do they do? They thank a whole slew of people. They thank their mom for persevering and raising four kids on her own. They thank their teachers and high school principal who saw something special in them and worked hard to draw it out. They thank their coaches and mentors who refused to quit on them even when they were about to quit on themselves. They thank all the people along the way who helped them rise above their circumstances, but only rarely do we hear someone think to thank God for all of those blessings? If you and I are honest, we have a slew of people to thank also. Our parents, teachers, bosses, mentors, coaches, neighbors, extended family members, and friends all play a part in our being where we are today. And guess who is behind their investment? God. God knew you before you were born and has cared for you every step of the way. He has allowed helpful people to cross your path so that you could rise above the challenges you've faced. In addition to placing helpful people around us, God has wired us with helpful gifts. He gave us capabilities, talents, insights, and specific bents that allow us to excel. He gave us educational opportunities and chances for development and growth. He's also given us material possessions along the way, the stuff we own in life. 
And what he asks for in return is that we use all of these things for his good. He asks that we be grateful for all these marvelous things we have, our talents, possessions, and our network of friends. And he asks that we stop and say thanks. People who are living in alignment financially are those who recognize that everything they have and all that they've become is a direct result of a loving Heavenly Father. They know they aren't self-made. Now here's the second alignment pertaining to our finances. I live joyfully within God's current provisions for my life. You want to know what kills financial alignment faster than anything else? Discontentment. Discontentment says, I don't have enough. It says, what I do have is not nice enough, new enough, or big enough. Discontentment says, I want what he has. I deserve what she has. Or, I just want more. For me, I'm a sucker for all things Star Wars and Captain America. If I could, I would buy all of it. Doesn't matter what it is. Discontentment says, I know I can't afford this, but I've already decided that it's mine. It says, I've worked hard to be able to buy nice things, so I will. Discontentment says, nobody is going to take care of me but me. And discontentment says, once I get this, then I'll be happy. I'm not asking for the world. I'm just asking for a little bit more. You want to know what kills discontentment faster than anything else? Contentment. Any guess as to how we get to the place of contentment? It's by practicing gratitude. We practice gratitude like it's our job because truthfully, according to scripture, it is our job. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Gratitude says thank you a million times over. Thank you for seeing my need, God, and for promising to provide. Knowing that God is the true provider, gratitude says I trust you. Gratitude says what I have is enough. What I have is big enough, new enough, and sufficient for my real needs. It says, I don't have to live in want. I don't have to covet what others have. I don't have to keep up with the spending habits of other people. Gratitude says, I refuse to go into debt to buy something I cannot afford. It says, God sees me, he cares for me, he provides. Gratitude says, I know that happiness comes only from God. I'm simply a steward of all these resources, and I've trained myself to live with contentment. Now, God says, Prov prove yourself faithful in the small things, so that in the big things you will be found faithful too. 
whatever your provision level today, insist on being content right there. Prove yourself faithful in this when nobody is looking. Here's the third financial alignment. I honor God by giving the first tenth of all my earnings to God's purposes in the world. I've heard many times over the years this phrase, and then we started tithing. And that one act of faith changed everything. Show me someone who is faithful to give the first tenth of their earnings to God's work through the local church, and I will show you a person who has radically simplified their life. Not any tenth, but the first tenth. Not 9%, 8%, or 3%, but the first tenth. People who give the first tenth of their earnings to God's kingdom have clean hands, light hearts, and easy sleep. Now why? Because they are obeying the scripture and because they are walking by faith. And because they are trusting God to do what, to do what God says only he can do. Now if I'm speaking in all honesty, Tammy and I inched closer to 10% last year than we ever have been. And we plan to hit that 10% mark soon and hopefully more. It's not easy, especially when I see that number on paper, but we are called to give. Only God sustains all of creation by the simple act of his will. Only God can feed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and two fish. Only God can part waters and rescue an entire nation that is being chased. Only God can raise a dead person to life again so that he's able to walk and talk. Only God can do the things you and I desperately need done for us, the stuff of miraculous multiplications and radical rescues and dead things coming to life. Who among us hasn't had more debt than dollars at the end of a month? or have stared down an unexpected expense and realized there wasn't enough money to cover it? Who hasn't given in and bought something completely unnecessary despite money already being tight? I recall years ago when Tammy and I were two 20-year-olds with a one-year-old child. Giving that $20 to church every week put quite a dent in our pockets but we still made sure to give it. We've all veered off course at one time or another, and God says, you can get back on track today, and the best place to start is with tithing, with declaring to yourself, your family, and your money that as for you and your house, God is in charge. You want good God stories to tell about how you achieved mastery over your finances? and give God your first 10%. Then stand back and see what he will do. The fourth alignment, I set aside a portion of all my earnings into a savings account for emergencies, giving opportunities, and for my later years. After we give our first 10% to the church, we take that second 10% and give it to ourselves. You heard that right, pay yourself. Put that second 10% into a savings account of some sort 
knowing that you'll absolutely need it someday. Water heaters break. The Bowman's broke a few months ago. Cars fall apart. This seems to happen every three days at my house. Medical emergencies arise. Taxes increase. Things come up along the way. There are thousands of ways that a financial winter may come to us, but I guarantee you this. Winter will come. The easy, breezy days of financial summertime don't last for long. Winter is going to come. And when it does, we can stay steady, knowing that we have planned for it. We're ready, and we're okay. Pay yourself with the same discipline that you pay your tithe. Do it each time, on time, whether you're in the mood or not. And finally, our fifth alignment related to our money, live each day with an open ear toward heaven, eager to respond to any whisper from God regarding my resources. This is where things get fun. A pastor was working on a sermon in a diner one day, and he noticed that his server, a woman, was having a rough day. She was buzzing from table to table, meeting every demand for coffee or breakfast or extra napkins as best as she could, but something was obviously on her mind. This pastor had seen her check her phone briefly while scurrying back to the kitchen, and something about what she saw, whether it be a text or an email, stopped her short. Whatever the news was, it caused her appearance to cloud over and her eyes to well up with tears. Knowing she didn't have time to linger, she put the phone back in her pocket and quickly resumed her duties. The pastor was partway through his preparation when he sensed a whisper from God, and as he describes it, God asked him to stop working on his sermon and write the woman a note of encouragement instead. Wanting to obey God's promptings, he flipped to a blank sheet of paper and began jotting down a few encouraging lines. As he wrote, a second prompting came, and this one was a little tougher to swallow. God seemed to be whispering to him, I also want you to leave her a breathtaking tip of $100. Now this pastor was a frugal kind of guy. $100 was a lot of money for him to part with, but he was absolutely sure this is what God had asked him to do. And so, with a quivering hand, he began counting out bills from his wallet, seeing if he had that kind of money on him that day, and he did. So, after subduing his shock, he gathered his materials, anchored the note with the tip with his coffee cup, and left the diner, knowing he'd done exactly what God asked him to do. But the story doesn't end there. One week later, this pastor was in the very same neighborhood diner, being waited on, by the very same person. After he finished his breakfast, and as he was gathering his papers to leave, the server stopped by his table and handed him a card. Read this sometime later, she said. And guess what it said? That morning the previous week, her husband had just informed her she'd be served with divorce papers later that day. He was leaving her. Her marriage was done. Her note ended with these lines. That day was one of the worst days of my life. But then I found your note and your financial gift. It just reminded me that God is faithful and he will provide for me. And it's true. 
God will take care of us. We just never know what good things God will do through us. If only we have ears to hear him when he calls. Tune your hearing to God's voice. Be available when he calls. Be a person through whom God's resources can freely flow. So, okay, we're, we're going to switch gears and look briefly at the second of the two places where we tend to get jammed up, and that is in our working world. You and I will spend at least one-third of our lives at work doing our jobs, and yet far too many of us are barely surviving in those environments, let alone thriving hour by hour. The writer of Ecclesiastes describes work as a gift from God, and says we can actually be happy in our toil. So let's briefly talk about four workplace-related alignments regarding our work life. The first is passion. Someone once said that passion is energy, and I think that's a fitting description. As you survey the experiences you've had, the opportunities you've been given, the coursework you've studied, the hobbies you've dabbled in along the way. What would you say gives you the most sheer energy? What seems to consistently fire you up? Is it mentoring at-risk youth? Gardening? Writing? Tinkering under the hood of the car? Teaching math? Caring for animals? Caring for elderly people? Caring for those with disabilities? For your family? It may be cooking? or sewing, training leaders, taking pictures or shooting videos, writing songs. There are a million things that fire people up. The question is, what is that thing for you? Can I encourage you today to spend a few minutes this week with that question? What always seems to fire me up? Ask the question, then answer it. Not with what you think you should feel, but rather what you actually feel. Then, take a closer look at your current job. Does it relate at all to what you're most deeply passionate about? There are seasons in every one of our lives when, because of cer certain situations, we find ourselves doing a job that we don't want to do. I've had jobs I've hated over the years. But you know what? They pay the bills. So I had to get up every morning and report to work, like it or not. Now let's be clear. I'm not asking you to get up and quit your job just because it doesn't perfectly align with what you're most passionate about. I can tell you I'm not passionate about updating spreadsheets all day. But that's most of what I do. Instead, a reasonable response to this exercise is to keep an eye on that area of passion while you do the job you're blessed to have right now. Ask God to open doors that will lead you closer to your passion. Find volunteer opportunities that will allow you to get near it. Take evening classes maybe to learn more about it. Talk to people who are good at it. Keep your areas of passion in mind so that if and when God presents an opportunity for you to do that thing vocationally, you're ready to jump in with both feet. The second working world alignment 
is culture. What is your work culture doing to you? If you've ever received a paycheck, then you know that every place of employment has a certain culture that is very distinct to that organization. Culture is the set of norms that guides everything from how decisions are made to the dress code that employees must follow. Culture is what tells you whether it's okay to arrive when your job is 9 to 5 at 9.15 or if you'd better be there by 8.45. It's what tells you how prepared you should be for a given meeting. It's what determines how likely you are to speak up if something unfair is happening. Culture is established by people, which means there always will be aspects of corporate culture that we wish would change. Be that as it may, I still find it wise to step back every so often and say, what impact is my workplace culture having on me? Go ahead and think it through. Do you enjoy going to work every day or do you wake up and dread it? Do you feel spent in a good way by the end of the day? Or do you feel empty, exhausted, or even angry? What is the impact of your workplace culture on your family, on your friends, maybe even your dog or cat? My point is this. Examine carefully the impact your workplace has on you so that you'll know where things stand. And then, what are you doing to your work culture? In my experience, I find there are two types of employees. One type makes the culture better, and the other type makes it worse. Pretty brilliant, don't you think? These are people who are culture builders or culture busters. Once you've assessed the impact that your workplace culture is having on you, I strongly encourage you to consider the impact that you are having on that culture. Now, it's easy to draw up a list of all the ways that your workplace culture can be awful. But what you'd be overlooking is the second part. How are you affecting the culture? Do you add to it or do you take away from it? Do you bring it life and energy or a sense of diligence and expertise? Or are you an outright drain on that culture? Here's what I know. Every one of us can probably do better on this front. And until we rightly assess how we're adding vibrancy and vitality to our workplace culture, we've only addressed half the equation. If your workplace culture is broken, first consider how you can help fix it. Show up on time. Come to work with a teachable spirit. Be a person who is true to their word. Find ways to encourage your boss, even if that person is tough to get along with. Don't be a gossip. Be honest in all your dealings. Try to smile. Instead of playing Candy Crush on breaks, roam the halls to see if there is something you can clean up, someone you can encourage, some problem that you can help solve. Even if your colleagues look at you like you're crazy, choose to be a culture builder. And then, after you've racked up some time in the culture building camp, 
then you are allowed to sort out what still remains broken in the culture you serve. If you find that the brokenness is just too much to take, then begin asking God to open a door of departure for you so that you can preserve the health of your soul. If, on the other hand, you discover that you were a part of the problem, then ask God for wisdom and grace to stay the culture-building course. Here's the third working world alignment, which is called challenge. It's always good to strike the right balance between being dangerously over-challenged and being under-challenged in our work. And only you can manage this dynamic. If the organization where you work is known for using as abusing its staff to the tune of 80-hour work weeks, substandard benefits, the modeling of inappropriate moral conduct, dishonesty with supervisors, and the like, then consider what you can do to take responsibility for standing up and saying enough. Or, if you are struggling in a job that underutilizes your skills and initiative and expertise, please begin praying that God will lead you to a role that's a better fit. But again, only you can manage this stuff. Only you know what's right for you. Our fourth and final working world alignment is compensation. There's an age-old balance in the workplace that most of us try to strike, even if it's only subconsciously. We want to love what we do, and we want to be paid a lot of money to do it. Am I right? That's why so many educators get incredibly fired up about pouring knowledge into the minds of the next generation, but they are incredibly frustrated about not receiving a better wage to do it. By way of contrast, we have professional athletes in this country signing contracts that will net them hundreds of millions of dollars to entertain us and play a sport that they are passionate about. But for the rest of us, sometimes we love what we do but realize we're not receiving a fair exchange. Sometimes we don't necessarily love what we do, but the hefty paycheck sure is nice. There's a fantastic story in Acts 12 about the Apostle Peter's unexpected prison break. Here, we find King Herod on a rampage going after church members. Herod had no use for any of Christ's followers, and he was committed to getting rid of them. He just murdered James, another apostle, and now he's thrown Peter into jail. Just to be sure there wouldn't be any funny business, he assigned 16 guards to Peter's cell. As the story goes, one night while Peter was sleeping, an angel of the Lord appeared right by his side and woke him by shaking him and yelling, hurry, get up. The shackles that had bound Peter to a nearby guard inexplicably fell away and the angel said, get dressed, put on your shoes. Stunned, Peter did as he was told. The angel then told Peter to grab his coat and follow him out of the jail. I'm sure Peter was flabbergasted over this mind-blowing turn of events, but he was smart enough to follow, even though he couldn't explain what had just taken place. The text tells us that the next morning, the entire jail was in an uproar as it was discovered that Peter had fled his cell. How did he get out 
when 16 strong men were guarding him. What kind of magic trick was this? Now, as I read the story, I can't help but think about how God wants freedom for us, too. His intention for us has always been not to be bound, whether it's literal bondage or the bondage of the figurative type. So if you're in bondage today, either in your workplace or in your finances, God stands ready to set you free. What he asks of you is that the same thing he asked of Peter that day, that you go, that you go quickly, and that you be willing to go by faith. Nobody is going to achieve these alignments for us. This is work that is ours alone to do. Will we do it? Will we stop acting as if we're destined for imprisonment and instead live as if freedom is ours? It is ours, just as it was Peter's. All that remains is that we get up and go. We resolve in our hearts that we're ready to change, to live in alignment in these areas once and for all. As we go, as always, by faith, we say, Heavenly Father, only you know the parts of my work and my money worlds that are imprisoning me, and only you can make a way of escape. We trust God to lead, and we commit to him that we will follow. And then we move out in faith toward the land of the free. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I know that today's subject matter is sensitive, that when we talk about our work and our money, we're talking about being very personal. I'm grateful that you've gone before us in this conversation and that you are prepared to lead the way. We give your spirit full leeway today to shift our attitudes and assumptions, to empower us to change our habits and our plans, and to show us where true freedom is found, which always is in your will and your ways, and never in our human schemes. We love you, we trust you, and we welcome your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen.